longing to see a nation restored. A prophet calls for God's will to be done, for heaven to come to earth. Good morning, everybody. Craig here. Well, it's another one of these unusual weeks that we've been having because of the virus, and Rob, Stacey and I are going to be bringing the message to you this morning. Largely what I'm going to be doing is just bringing the beginning and the end, and Rob's got the, the central part of today's message as we look at the last two chapters of the book of Amos. Amos chapter 5 says, But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And those words are very powerful, and they've meant a lot to a lot of people over the years. And for us, as a church in the year 2020, uh, we want to be able to take hold of these words as well to ensure that they're not lost on us and we don't become the very people that Amos was speaking to and in many cases speaking against. The nation, the big nation, the 12 tribes was split into two, two distinct nations now, Israel and Judah, 10 tribes and two tribes. And by all accounts, they were doing quite well financially, economically, but they'd lost their purpose. They were no longer the people of God. They were serving themselves they were worshipping foreign gods, they were ignoring the poor, they were selling people into slavery, they were encouraging prostitution, dishonest scales uh, to buy and to sell, and uh, they dis dishonest judges, dishonest lawyers, and people were generally just doing everything as they felt fit. So Amos says, enough, enough. Examine, examine, examine. And uh, before I hand over to Rob today, I want to be able to raise something with you that the Bible speaks of a lot, particularly from the Old Testament prophets. And that is this whole issue of social justice, which is essentially what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Social justice is where God is speaking to people saying, listen, if you're going to have a just society, then everybody's got to be equal. It's not just a matter of having a few who are elite and a few um, who are at the top of the pile, but everybody should win in the kingdom of God. So in this, there are hints, uh, and this is where people struggle a little bit, there are hints of socialism or hints even of communism that can be drawn out of Scripture. But I want to put you at ease because the Bible doesn't speak of socialism. The Bible doesn't speak of communism. Uh, it speaks of social justice. It speaks of Christianity being spread to the furthest borders of society, and in doing so, the power of of uh, the society is held by all the people. The thing about any, any communism or any socialism, in fact, any isms at all, uh, is usually a consolidation of power is what people are after. And so therefore, when you talk about socialism, they have this ideal that everybody should be raised up, but it comes from a power base. What God wants is for people to equally carry the load and equally share the responsibility of being able to say, I reach out and I affect and I touch my neighbor and they get to taste and see that God is good. So Christianity is a network of people wanting to build together and represent the kingdom of God, that they might be able to say, taste and see that the Lord is good and the greatest amongst you all shall be the servant of all. No power, no central control, but everybody expressing the love of God to those around them. This is what the kingdom looks like. And that's why Amos challenged Israel and Judah to measure themselves against God's plumb line. Not their own standards, 
not their own sense in which they know is right because everybody's got their own little deal going with God where they feel that God has their back on certain things that they might want to do for themselves. But the plumb line is the person of Jesus in a Christian context. And so for now, we're going to hand over to Rob. Rob's going to take us through these last two chapters, and I'm sure you're looking forward to that. So bring it home, Rob. Hey, well, thanks for that, Craig. Uh, kia ora, BBC Fano. Uh, no mai, haramai, welcome to today's service. Uh, coming to you live from the Stacey's deck here in Bethlehem. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Rob Stacey. I'm the Generations Pastor here at BBC. And it's my privilege this morning to be bringing you the last um, in our message series uh, from the book of Amos uh, today. Uh, I think it's kind of weird, you know, two weeks ago, uh, none of us probably would have thought we would be sitting in these isolated bubbles. Uh, you'd be thinking to yourself, hmm, would I be on the church online platform? I don't think you would have. In fact, most of us in these extraordinary times are remembering Craig's words from January where he said, stretchy, stretchy 2020. I think uh, even Craig and all his prophetic magic there uh, didn't realize that we would be thinking about these words today. So today we're going to uh, get stuck into the last two chapters of the book of Amos, chapter 8 and chapter 9. And over the past few weeks, we've been building a picture of this amazing prophet Amos's message to Israel, God's people. Uh, yes, it's a message that we would rather not hear under the current set of circumstances, but it's one that, although hard to hear, is important is as important today as it was for God's people during Amos's ministry. Uh, there were, as, as Craig just referred to, a number of critical elements that Amos was was challenging God's people and their leaders about in the times, um, in terms of their lifestyle and some of the nation's choices, <clears throat> and most of them were to do with the new priorities that that they had allowed to take center stage in their life. The nation was experiencing peace and, and this economic prosperity like they'd never experienced it before. Pretty opposite to what we're probably encountering now, but nonetheless poignant in terms of circumstances. You see, this blessing of their circumstances had caused them to become quite selfish, um, almost a, a materialistic culture. Their priorities had significantly shifted. Why? Because of complacency, because of a whole number of reasons. And as, excuse me, Pastor Craig referred to last week, there were new things creating plumb lines. I love that picture that he gave us. These plumb lines, which, which they were starting to build their lives around. These were the things that they were measuring themselves against individually, but also as, as a whole community. Uh, Amos's prophecies took aim at those who were in their complacency because of their comfort and their prosperity. They, they used this position to exploit and ignore the plight of the needy. This week, I watched a great talk by a guy called John Mark Comer. Uh, he is the pastor of Bridgetown Church uh, in Portland, Oregon. <clears throat> and he talked about us as the church living currently in what he calls a, a Kairos moment where nothing is as it was. He was asking the question of 
where the opportunities lie in the midst of this crisis. He was looking to the positive. What can we do? What does this give us an opportunity to, to be involved with? And so Kairos, at, as, as he was putting it, refers to this moment in time and all that could emerge from it. The opportunities as well as the vulnerabilities. Most of us uh, over the last week, well, I say most of us, a good portion of us, I'm sure, um, may have seen or heard the story of how Sir Isaac Newton had his own Kairos moment in 1665 during the bubonic plague. He was a lecturer at Cambridge University and, and the university had shut down. Um, and he used that Kairos moment to apply his less chaotic mind, his less busy mind, to some pretty amazing things. And as legend has it, he was sit, uh, he was sat under a tree pondering and an apple fell. And as the apple fell, his, his mind went to, why does this apple not fall sideways or travel up? And as we all know, he came through that uh, with his first theory of, of gravity. Among some of the other uh, pretty amazing things that he applied his mind to during that season, he came up with calculus. I mean, the most ridiculous mathematics you can, you can imagine. He came up with that, sitting under that tree and, and taking that time, that Kairos moment uh, to engage with, um, with that present uh, position in time. Little did he know that those two genius moments that he had there in that Kairos moment would eventually lead to space travel, to the first man on the moon. I wonder, as he sat there, he looked up at the moon and, and thought about that. Those two key things, this theory of gravity and calculus, came out of that Kairos moment for him. So why do I share that? Well, I share it because I want us to ponder during our Kairos moment, here and now, for, from, from March till whenever this isolation period comes to an end. How will I allow these, this, this unique set of circumstances of isolation, of, of forced abstinence and slowing down, how will I allow that to create the right priorities in my life and not the wrong ones? I mean, we want to think about what's coming in the future and, and what, what is on the other side of this? What sort of person will I be when I come out of isolation? Not just plump, not just having watched every Netflix series, but what is it that I want to work towards um, as I come out of this? Uh, that is the enduring challenge that Amos is giving to all the believers in chapters 8 and 9. So this morning, why don't we open our Bibles to Amos 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6, and they should come up on your screen. Amos chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. It says this, This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. And then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies are flung everywhere. Silence. 
You know, Amos has this amazing way of creating a picture from his words. The basket of ripe fruit, we all think straight away, wow, a basket of ripe fruit, how good would they, how juicy they would be. What he's saying is that you are ripe to be thrown out. You're in this moment where you've started to tip over into the rotting period where you're of no use to us anymore. And then he gives them this beautiful picture of their, their sacred temple being left abandoned, people wailing in the middle of it. This is not a picture that would have been good for them. And let's carry on in verse four. And then he, he, he really nails down in this. He says, hear this you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales. And you heard Pastor Craig talk about that last week. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Even selling, uh, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And that picture that I get is, you know, that, that dust that's always at the bottom of the bag of the cornflakes. And you think, how did this get in here? That's the kind of thing. He was, he's giving this picture of a community that were not valuing each other, that were using this, this moment in time to, to self-promote and grow their own fortunes and not the people of God as they were intended to be. You see, injustice and dishonesty was rife among God's people. Their circumstances, um, you know, it drove them not to a greater generosity, but a greater scrupulous and unscrupulous greed hoarding of the materials, the thirsting to rush out of the Sabbath rest into, into greater accumulation. It's this moment of, oh, do I have to be here? I just want to get through this festival so that I can go on doing the things that I want to do. It's that moment of self-preservation. You see, their circumstances didn't open their minds to the ways in which God could use them. Their priority became a mindset of greater self-preservation. Instead of an opportunity to be restorative, they had a famine mindset rather than a restorative mindset. And those two things are what we're talking about today. How do we live into a restorative mindset and not a famine mindset? You see, they had this thing in their mind when they thought about this famine mindset. Who knows what's around the corner? You know, they had this thought of, you never know what's coming. See, that's, that's a famine mindset. It is a, a, a focusing on the things that I need and that I want, not the community of people. I think about what's been in the news in the last couple of weeks, as most of you would know, there was a massive rush on the supermarket and, and people were filling their trolleys with, among other things, toilet paper. Um, not that that's a side effect of COVID-19. Um, there were there were groups of people, and you've you've seen them this week being arrested um, for still refusing to isolate. My rights trump yours. You see, we live in a world that's all about self-preservation, even in the midst of this chaos and this confusion. In Amos's time, the same was true of the circumstances that led them into that same space. You know, we think about binging on, on Netflix or emptying the pantry. That's, that's the kind of famine mindset they're talking to. Their unique time in history 
didn't lead them to a time of, uh, didn't lead them to use their time of peace and prosperity, not for opportunities to bless and, and dig deeper into what it means to be the people of God. No, 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 no. They, they, they hoarded. They, they allowed their circumstances to prioritize self-preservation and personal gain. Amos then goes on with a further challenge about this famine mindset in uh, chapter 8. And we're going to be reading from verses 11 through 14 now, uh, where he talks about a famine of God's word. Let's read together. Verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Verse 12. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young woman and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as surely as our God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. Their famine mindset led them away from the word of God. Their circumstances created new priorities, new plumb lines. You see this, this beautiful time of, of, of peace and prosperity that we're in didn't lead them into greater works for God. It led them into new things, new priorities, new plumb lines that actually led them away from the things that God desired for them. They had more time to, to relax. The peace of the land was, was a rare thing in those days. I mean, there was wars everywhere. Everyone was trying to take over your different places. It was, it was valuable. They had more disposable time. They had more discretionary money. You see, Israel had a new normal. But instead of it being a time where they could show a greater generosity, maybe even a simplicity, their mindset was drawn to what could be the next crisis. I better hedge my bets. I better fill my silos so that I don't miss out. Israel had strayed in their complacency into false idol worship. That's when he's talking about their Dan and Bathsheba and Samaria. These were all places where idols were set up and, and the, the people were drawn into idol worship. It's this idea that the, there's a kind of what feels good rule way of life started to creep in. You see, injustice was rife as well. The poor were being oppressed through unjust scales. Amos says that the days are coming, a famine of God's word. What he's talking about there, that, that beautiful picture um, that he's, he's bringing together is that here is this group of people who know nothing about what it means to walk in his word anymore. This is what you are going to turn into. You see, we, we read in the book of Matthew much further on, probably some 700 years later, uh, he makes it pretty clear that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then you go to Genesis, and, and Genesis reminds us that it's, it's the words that speaks, uh, it's the word that speaks order into creation. Uh, I was doing some research this week, and there's an amazing, um, there's an amazing commentator. Her name's Elizabeth Actemeyer. 
And she said, nothing more clearly signals the end of Israel than the fact stated in this oracle that it will no longer be given the word of God. Without the word of God, we are dead. Amos is reminding us of that. That hasn't changed in 2000 years. Without the word of God guiding our life, without the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be doing this. You see, without the word of God, life just becomes a religiously superficial existence. We just do this for fun. We just do this to connect socially. You see, priorities shift. We are playing the game of, of faith for our own personal gain rather than, than what it's actually meant for, a lifestyle, rather than living out of that overflow that the word of life generates within us. A famine mindset is one where the word of God has little or no influence on our, on our daily existence on a daily basis. And it leads us, like the people of Israel, through their circumstances into the wrong priorities. The word of God sets the right priorities in our lives. Let's move on to the last passage today and in Amos 9. And I'm jumping through Amos 9 because the first part of it is, is really just the outcome, the, the judgment that comes after uh, this world turns into what Amos is foreseeing. And we get these four verses, right? The, uh, sorry, five verses right at the end of Amos' book. And they're like a, a correcting addendum at the end of his work that points to the hope and the restoration of God's people if they live into that word. Let's read together verses 11 to 15. It says, In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. I will build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord in verse 13, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. What a cool idea of abundance. That before you can even dig up the, 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 the very crop you've already planted, someone's in there ready to plow and put the next in. And the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people, Israel, back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and they will live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wines. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? After reading the eight chapters of judgment and, and these oracles of, of woe that are over this community, there is these five verses that give them a picture of what life lived under the plumb line of God's word would look like. And who wouldn't want that? You see, after those eight chapters, those judgments, those promises of hope and restoration, it's a beautiful picture 
that sets the world right. You see, Amos is showing us what a shift from famine to restoration looks like. What God's word in action with skin on looks like. What does it look like for you today? You see, our God is a God of restoration. We will be restored at some point to normal life. What is happening in this place at this time that is restorative and can be led by you at this time? Our God is a God of restoration. How will you allow a restorative mindset to take priority during this period of time? How will you seize this, this Kairos moment, as John Mark Comer called it, to uh, embrace the, the forced abstinence, to, to go deeper into the word of God um, and with God? I was chatting to a pastoral friend this week and asked how his season had, uh, how this particular season had impacted his church financially, because it's pretty hard on churches at the moment. And he says, well, it's crazy, but I've actually seen an increase. And I was like, wow, that is, that's what a blessing. That is fantastic. And he says, um, you know, we, I had a bunch of people from church who, who came up to me and they said, look, um, we don't want the work of the church to possibly be inhibited during this season, however long it may be. Um, we don't want it to be inhibited in its ability um, by our ability to give. You know, some of these guys were saying we, we, we could lose our job. Um, our circumstances could drastically change in the near future. And so we're gonna give in advance. And some of these people were giving five, six, eight weeks in advance um, to the church um, in case their uh, circumstances changed. It's amazing. And when I heard that, it, it just made me think about this week that they've put a priority on the life of the church, on that restorative mindset of what can be and what will be. This uh, is not famine thinking. I wonder what the poor and the powerless um, in our society will say of our church in these coming months. Um, I wonder if those who um, will see us after we inevitably go back to um, normality after COVID-19 will say, we are stoked that the church, you individuals, the not gathered community at the moment, they were a blessing to us. I wanna challenge you this morning after making our way through the, the book of Amos. How will you bring heaven to earth during this lockdown? I know at the moment it's, it's pretty overwhelming and we're all still trying to find this new rhythm and this new pace of life. But how will you allow the silence, uh, the, the, the times of extra moments with the family, these, these, these moments where we're forced into new rhythms, how will you allow heaven to be reflected in and through your circumstances? Now, how will you use this opportunity to enjoy more time together as a family? You know, it's been said pretty frequently over the last couple of weeks that there are plenty of families that are experiencing hardship and abuse. What would it look like 
for you, for us as a community, to show love and to give in this time to those less fortunate and needy than us? And how will you allow this force changed rhythm to restore the ruins, maybe in your life, maybe in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood? And what are the opportunities that present themselves in this season where God is calling you to live from a restorative mindset rather than a famine mindset? Those are good things to ponder on this week. And before I close in prayer and share a benediction today, Pastor Craig is, is going to come back and, and share an exciting restorative mindset initiative that he and Michaela have been uh, working on uh, for us as a community this week. So let's hear from Craig now on that, and I'll see you in a moment to close in prayer. Hi, well, I know that Rob brought that home for us, didn't he? As he looked at how it is that we can become the people of God and we're the people of hope when it comes to the restoration of our society. So why am I sitting here with earmuffs on? Well, for centuries, literally, People have heard the word of the Lord with earmuffs on. You see, it's very easy to be the people of God and give some mental assent, some mental agreement with what it is that God is saying through Scripture. But as I said all the way through this, unless we examine, 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 then the word of God just runs off us like we are waterproof or water resistant to the word itself rather than allowing it to soak in. Jesus had the same problem with the Pharisees. Uh, and I'm just going to take this from Luke chapter 7 uh, in verse 31. Jesus went to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. Calling out, We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. So what Jesus was saying is that we appeal to you. We gave you music to dance to and you didn't dance. We gave you a dirge. We gave you songs to lament with and you didn't cry. What he was saying there is that we can do all of this thing to, um, for you. We can express what God wants. But if you're not moved, you're not moved. Uh, Jesus went on to compare this to um, how the people judged him and judged John the Baptist. And this is what he said. He said, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say... He has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So the people of Israel judged John the Baptist because he didn't eat or drink. When Jesus turned up and he ate and he drank, they said he was a glutton. So in other words, there was never, ever going to be anything getting through to these people. They just had earmuffs on and their hearts were hard and their hearts are cold. Well, some of you throughout the week um, would have received an envelope, and that envelope came from Michaela and I. Um, we were thinking about how it is that we can connect with people who are struggling uh, in, in this coronavirus time, and there are a lot of people really struggling at the moment. And so we thought, well, the best way we can help people is to do something through you, through the church. And so I went down to the uh, automatic teller machine, uh, went to my bank account, we pulled out $1,000 and uh, we spent, uh, spent, sorry, yes, we've spent and we've sent um, 20 envelopes out with $50 in each. 
And we decided to send it largely to families, people who've got kids, because we feel that this is a good engagement with uh, a thing to do with families. So the goal for that is that each person who received an envelope is to ask themselves and to pray, who is it do you think could benefit by having $50 in a time like this? And so we've included another stamped envelope in the envelope we sent out because we know we can't go knocking on people's doors at the moment. Um, so they're going to send that on. Bit of a challenge really, isn't it? And I'd like to extend that challenge, not only to the, obviously to the 20 who received the money, but maybe you're thinking to yourselves, wow, we could do that. We're sitting at home. Um, we didn't burn off our tank of petrol this week, so we've got a bit of spare cash. Um, we, could, we could do this. Others of you I know are really tight at the moment and we're not really sure about the future, but let's use this opportunity that we have to reach out and to, to make a difference in the same way that Amos would encourage us. Let's remember the poor, let's remember those who are vulnerable and ensure that we can be the people of God, even in difficult times like this, when it takes a little bit of creativity to reach out. And so um, we get a real pleasure out of um, knowing that God has been glorified as people take our resources and get to share those with people who they know are in need. So I'm going to finish now by handing it back to Pastor Rob, and Rob's going to lead us in the final prayer. Thanks, Rob. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we are your people. And in this Kairos moment, in this time in history, very unique uh, to 2020, uh, Lord, we ask today that you would come and you would take charge. Uh, Lord, that we would have the single plumb line of your word. Your word as in scripture, Lord, your word as in Jesus. We ask, Father, that we would live as a community during this lockdown period, as a community with a restorative mindset and not a mindset of famine. Father, we give ourselves over to you this day and we ask, Lord, that you would lead us. And as we turn to your word, as we turn towards you, Jesus, you would guide us and you would allow us to know your love in this season. Amen. Well, as you go uh, today, let me share a, a blessing with you. It comes from Amos 5 and it's like this. Today, Live from this place with renewed inspiration to do the will and the word of God. Seek good as your priority and not evil. Love and show generosity where you can and establish justice for those who do not have it. This is the greatest offering we can make. Letting justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Go in peace with love for our neighbours. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Bless you.